Well, let's continue our worship service this morning in the Word of God. And as we turn to the Word of God, and if you want to open up your Bible, you're welcome to, to uh, open to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Thanks, Jeff. And, uh, and we'll begin there. But first, just to give a little bit of introduction as we start our morning, this text in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, is really a, a lesser read text, and therefore it might be referenced a little bit less in the nativity story, but still it is very much a part of the birth of Christ narrative. But it has a different tone to it. The previous chapter and a half in Luke's gospel is filled with the miraculous and the mysterious. Even today, the narrative is, is really strong in our culture. No small thanks to the penis character Linus and Charlie Brown Christmas, who did such a wonderful job delivering the gospel presentation. And I remember even from a very little child hearing that and, and truly being blessed by it, even though I didn't entirely understand it. Well, Luke's gospel tells us of people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, both righteous and walking blamelessly before the Lord, the text tells us. We're told Zechariah, while fulfilling his duties as a priest, is confronted by the appearance of an angel foretelling the birth of his son, the future John the Baptist. Even Zechariah's and even in Zechariah's and, and Elizabeth's very elderly years, long beyond the time of childbirth. And in this dramatic scene with smoke of incense and offerings, we hear the angel's pronouncement that Zechariah would be mute for a time because of his unbelief. The angel's prophecies of a son seem too wonderful and amazing, saying, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. From there, the narrative takes us to the angel Gabriel, who was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel tells her she will conceive in her womb and bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, Mary, responding in faith to all the angel has said, replies, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And let's not forget Joseph. Mary's betrothed, just trying to get his head wrapped around all this. He receives a visitation by an angel and a dream 
telling him, do not be afraid, but to take Mary as your wife. Well, in due time, John is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth as prophesied by the angel. Zechariah's speech returns and Mary too becomes pregnant and gives birth to Jesus. And over the course of the first half of chapter two, Luke recounts the miraculous events of the nativity story that we're so familiar with. Caesar's decree to register everyone. The difficult journey from Nazareth to Judea. The birth of Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then, of course, the shepherds out in the field. The sight before them filling the skies and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel calming their fears sending them on their way in search of the babe in the manger. And all this surrounded by the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The scene concludes with the angels returning to heaven, the shepherds returning to glorify God, and Mary treasuring all these things, pondering them in her heart. The narrative to this point has been filled with this spectacle of angelic visitations, miraculous events, and prophetic declarations by the heavenly host. And the birth of the Savior to a young virgin in the little town of Bethlehem. It is both dramatic and mysterious. Now in verse 21, Luke concludes the story by turning his focus to just four individuals. The scene, a seemingly chance meeting under rather commonplace circumstances. The scene is the Jerusalem temple. The time is 40 days following the birth of Jesus. The occasion is the arrival of the parents in Jerusalem to fulfill the law. So why don't we turn our Bibles to Luke 2.21, if you're not already there, and let's read through verse 38. Verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their perfect purification, According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we gather here this morning with hearts full of anticipation of so many things. And Father, first and foremost, we come in celebration of the Christ child and the promises that you have fulfilled. Father, we pray in this service that you would be glorified, Christ would be magnified. And Father, your gospel would be proclaimed. I pray, Father, that you would be with my words, that you would guide my speech, and that they would be honoring to the text, and that you would bless your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I named the message of this, the title of this message, A Season of Faithfulness. And for those who take notes, I'm going to try and look at this text in three main points. That is, one, faithful parents, faithful servants, and finally, a faithful God. And right here in the beginning of the text, here in the final moments of Luke's narrative, it really does take a different tone. There are no angelic visitations. There aren't any miraculous births. There isn't any host of heaven. We simply see, first and foremost, two faithful parents. Verse 21 tells us that on the eighth day, they circumcised the child Jesus, according to custom as commanded in Genesis 17 for all, male, for all males who would be part of Abraham's household. Without it, Jesus could not have identified with his people, even though he was of pure Hebrew blood. This is also the moment where the child is officially given his name, Jesus which you may know means Jehovah is salvation. And this in obedience to the angel's direction. 
His name shall be Jesus. Well, the parents do two other acts of Jewish piety, and they're recorded here. One is Mary's purification. Having been completed after 40 days, she has to come to the temple and offer a sin offering. And their offering, not a lamb, but a pigeon or a turtle dove, is reflective of the humble and poor estate of the family. Perhaps even before they've seen the wise men. Pigeons will have to do. Secondly, they're, they're there for a dedication of the child. As it is written of the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy before the Lord. The scene is entirely commonplace. Simple, faithful parents. Their dedication flows from the heart of Joshua. Remember what he said in chapter 24, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mary and Joseph established their family on a foundation of faithfulness. I think of Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, speaking of the commandments of the Lord, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Or Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, you shall teach the commandments to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So far in this story, the parents have experienced God showing himself in miraculous ways. Now we see them embrace parenthood, really like any other parent. What we see is a model of faithful parents, committed to the scriptures, walking in the fear of the Lord, and bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mary and Joseph showed faithfulness in so many ways. Their faith and obedience meant social scorn as they faced the whispers and sneers spoken behind their backs. Sinners, fornicators, some would say. In the days ahead, they would show so much courage as they fled to Egypt from those who would do hurt. They would face uncertainties of life as we all do. And somewhere along the way, Joseph would die and go home to be with the Lord. And Mary would raise Jesus alone. Simeon's painful pronouncement foretold sorrowful expectation of her child's birth. 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul. Yet she did not turn from her faithful path. In our day and age, we focus so much attention on helping our children be successful in this world. To keep them free from danger. But are we as committed to establishing them on a foundation of obedience to God, faith in Christ, and uncompromisingly modeling these qualities for them? I think it is safe to say the majority of our work is found in modeling faithfulness, really, before our kids. Giving, serving, worshiping, praying, repenting when we sin, asking forgiveness. Consider this. Our calling as parents is really not very different at all from Mary and Joseph, with some twists. That we, like Paul to Timothy, could say of our children, and how from childhood they have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, not only do we see faithful parents in our text, we see two very faithful servants. The first is a man named Simeon. And we really know little about Simeon. We don't know his occupation. We're not sure of his age, though it is clear he is elderly. He seems to be anticipating dying in the not distant future. We really only know for certain the condition of his heart. And perhaps that's all we really do need to know. The text says he was a righteous and devout man, an exceptional saint, perhaps much like Cornelius in Acts 10, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God, an upright and God-fearing man. We're also told Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The people of Israel had wandered for centuries when the promises of God would be or wondered for centuries when the promises of God would be fulfilled. And truthfully, many of them may not have believed they would be fulfilled. Over the years, through political upheaval, oppression, some had given up hope. Simeon patiently, hopefully, faithfully waited. And in verse 26, we're told it says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Think of what a profound moment this is, that God would, would reveal his Christ, the Savior of humanity, to a simple, faithful man. Many years later, Jesus would say this to his disciples, Matthew 13, 17, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, 
and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Simeon saw it, Simeon heard it, and Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is where his hope was set. And there's a principle here. And this would probably make sense to you. For that which we set our hope, we're willing to wait, aren't we? Paul reflects Simeon's heart in Romans 8.22 when he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. So to, to understand what the cons, con, consolation that Simeon was waiting for, we should, we should look at the text that he would look to. And I think he would look to the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly of Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. See, the consolation of God is when God comforts his people and pardons their sins. Isaiah 49, 13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. The, God, the, the, the consolation of God is the compassion of God. Simeon was a devout man. He knew his scriptures. He knew that the nation had rejected their God and fallen into judgment. And he also knew that the Lord was a merciful God and had promised to comfort his people. He knew God had promised a savior and he longed for a, a, a Messiah. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Little did Simeon know that some 30 years hence, the babe in his arms would begin his public ministry and quote this very scripture. And in verse 28, Simeon blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon was saying, the wait is over. The consolation of Israel has arrived. Simeon was holding in his hands 
the greatest expression of love and comfort and consolation humanity would ever know. Well, we can't leave our look at faithful servants without speaking of a woman named Anna. Anna is described as a woman who lost her husband after seven years of marriage and then remained a widow until she was 84. Or, depending how you read the text, perhaps 84 more years. In that case, she is a very, very elderly woman. It says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna was in an unusual situation. Young, young widows in this era, in this time, typically were very much encouraged to, to marry and marry soon. The hardships of life alone were to be avoided if at all possible. And now in our final verse 38, we see Anna coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, the babe, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, this godly, faithful saint. God grants the ability to recognize that in the babe before her was the fulfillment of all his promises. For all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, an eternal kingdom. And I think there's a lesson to learn from Anna for us today. One is simply that we reach retirement years, we should never retire from ministry. Have you ever considered that as long as you draw breath, God has a calling and ministry for you? In fact, there's a common thread to be seen in these faithful saints. Though well advanced in years, they remain faithful. And they remain accessible, available, not withdrawn, not detached. They're engaged with others in the congregation. They're observant of who is around them and what is going on in their lives. And they are an essential part of the life of the congregation. And for us this morning, they play an essential role in the very proclamation of the gospel. Well, we've seen today how God used faithful parents, how he uses faithful servants like Simeon and Anna. But of course, behind each parent and every servant is a faithful God. Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So not only did the Lord reveal his salvation to Simeon, but from this obscure, tiny little town of Bethlehem, the message of the gospel has gone out throughout the world and believed on by billions. John the Baptist, quoting Isaiah, would soon correctly say, 
Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see see the salvation of God. God has not only shown his salvation to his people, Israel, but he has shown it to the Gentiles. That's you and me. Well, unless there's some in here with Jewish ancestry, pardon me. That we are not of the house of Abraham, nor of the tribe of Judah. Salvation is offered to us. And I love how Isaiah says, speaking of the Christ, it is too little a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel only. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Or 52.10 The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God, in providing salvation to his people Israel, has opened the doors to the wedding feast. Our faithful God has invited all who would come. And in these final verses of Luke 2, we've seen God use faithful parents, faithful servants, and reveal his faithful plan and show his salvation. Finally, in speaking to Mary, Simeon leaves us with this admonition. Verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that Thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. If you are a Christian today, praise God for his salvation all day long. You have been raised with Christ. But if you do not consider yourself so, Simeon's word should encourage you. Search your heart and ask yourself why. What stands between you and Jesus today? My plea, along with the Apostle Paul, is this. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God desires you to be reconciled. to forgive every sin forever. And through his son Jesus, he has made a way. And I pray you seek him today. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the example of, of faithful parents. Thank you for faithful servants. Father, they enrich our lives. They bring the gospel to us. They point us to Christ. 
And Father, thank you for your faithful salvation. From the beginning of creation, from the beginning of that horrible day of the fall, when mankind was set on a path to, of disobeyment, of, of rejection, of your authority. Father, you set about on a, on a path to rescue us, to save us from ourselves. Father, we thank you so much today on this Christmas Eve morning for the salvation that you provided through your son, Jesus Christ, first sent as the humblest in the form of a child in a way that we could all identify with him in every way except that he did not sin and made a way for us. Father, thank you for this day. We will celebrate it and give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let me leave you with a brief benediction. Psalm 97, one through six. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples will see his glory. Amen. Go in peace. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful Christmas.